Welcome to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Waves of Change podcast. So happy that you joined us today. Today I'm interviewing Gary Monglik from Instrumental, and you'll notice that we're taking a little step out of our normal conversations of interviewing nonprofit founders. Gari um, is a founder, but Instrumental is not a a nonprofit. They're actually a company who helps nonprofits. They help nonprofits identify grants that they're eligible for um, based on their programs and their projects. They help nonprofits organize when to apply for those grants and help them through that process. So I hope that this is a worthwhile and interesting conversation for our audience. I know a lot of our audience um, work in the nonprofit sector, so I hope that you all find this interesting. Gary has some wonderful advice about fundraising, about seeking grants versus um, seeking donors and the best time for a nonprofit to seek grants, as well as just some great advice around um, staffing for nonprofits and grant seeking. I know Um, You know, for me personally, I've been in the development field for, I honestly have stopped counting, but for 10 plus years in fundraising and grants are never fun. Um, Even when I have a volunteer who tells us that the money has been approved, that they're going to give the organization the money and all they need us to do is fill out the grant request. Even then, I still find it to be stressful. It's such a black and white process. And I think people who end up in the nonprofit sector were not very black and white people. We're um, much more emotional. Um, We excel in linguistics and grant writing um, is, is, I just call it like a black and white process. It's really filling out boxes and crossing your fingers and (laughs) hoping you get funded. Um, So I love that instrumental is breaking down the barriers um, between the funder and the nonprofits. I think they're doing great work. And I hope that you find um, our conversation um, useful and worthwhile. So I'll let you get to it. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining today. Um, I was hoping you could just start by introducing yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, So my name is Gary Monglick. I run a company called Instrumental. And Instrumental helps over 2,000 nonprofit customers be more effective with grants. Uh, Using Instrumental, nonprofits are able to get out almost double the amount of applications while saving multiple hours per week, uh, which is amazing. And what we do is we help with everything end-to-end grant fundraising from prospecting to research to tracking to grant calendar to reporting and collaboration. Amazing. I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, I would love to backtrack and just hear about your background and what, you know, where you were working before founding an instrumental. Yeah, sure. So I come to instrumental more from the product and tech space than from the nonprofit space. My two co-founders were the ones who really had the domain expertise and the knowledge to see the insight of the kind of problem that we're currently solving with instrumental. So before this, I was working at Airbnb and I was uh, working on their mobile apps as well as a couple of special projects. And um, Airbnb was at a really exciting 
um, time in its company journey where I got to work with a lot of amazing people and see a lot of great best practices when it comes to especially like a product development process that I uh, really kind of reflect on and and bring a lot of those lessons learned into Instrumental. Um, and then before that, I had my own company again, uh, or I guess for the first time, and that was a company I started out of school and worked on for a couple of years. And then we actually were acquired by Airbnb, which is how I ended up working at Airbnb as oh, well nice. as moving out to the West Coast, which was a great decision. Awesome. And what inspired you to kind of focus on nonprofits and move like to that route of starting instrumental and helping out nonprofits? Yeah, I would say that my, so my two co-founders, Angela and Kat, they kind of identified, you know, a, a pain point that they saw in the market and in, in from their like own experience. And we, we kind of served, we explored many different types of products and also many different types of customers. So we also explored the academic research space. We, we, we explored um, only supporting universities. We also looked at potentially building tools for funders. So we, were, we really explored a lot of this um, area. And in particular, the nonprofit space was interesting um, because from a grants perspective, it's a huge pain point for them. And it's, you know, differently from the academic world, you know, there are people at nonprofits whose job it is to find grants. Uh, and so they actually like, it's more of a hair on fire problem for them to have a tool to help them be successful. And one thing that was really intriguing to me about the nonprofit space was that coming from like building my own tech company before and the, the, the just overall like startup tech space and also working at Airbnb, there's like a certain like customer and product obsession that I see that really helps to build great products that's really solve customers' problems. And when I looked at the nonprofit tech land landscape, especially like the world of like grant tools, I was really underwhelmed with the options that were out there. So, you know, from a mission standpoint and from a, um, you know, a personal standpoint, it was really, it's been really meaningful to me to bring, you know, to try to bring that kind of um, like customer and product obsession uh, to the nonprofit space and really focus on building things that people, you know, don't hate to use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, I won't name names, but definitely there's stuff out there in the nonprofit world that we hate to use. Um, I would love to kind of dig in a little bit more and like hear what, what instrumental does. So are you working directly with um, funders and then also nonprofits or how does it work if I'm like a nonprofit looking to for grants and want to sign up or yeah or join <laughs> yeah if you're a nonprofit what you can do is you know sign up for a 14 day trial it's totally free to check it out to try us out um, what you'll do when you first sign up is you'll fill out information about your first project and a project on instrumental is kind of like a workspace that will map to different program areas at your organization like ongoing program areas so you'll set that up maybe you'll set up one if you just have like one main program area at your org sometimes organizations have like you know 20 of course with like universities and hospitals there's they, they might even get into the hundreds and you'll be able to create these workspaces and the first part of that is a saved search where we actually match you to relevant opportunities across foundation corporate and government sources so all in one place um, and you'll be you put in information about your 
your program area um, and your organization when you're when you're building that first project. And so that's what we use to make sure your matches are relevant. And that's something we spent a lot of time doing um, is actually working on that matching algorithm. And I used I always like to say that we one of my co-founders' name is Kat. I like to say we like automated her brain. She basically <laughs> looked at like you know, dozens and dozens of kind of results of the matching algorithm and just was like, this is a good fit. This is not a good fit. This is a good, this is not a good fit. And we just kept improving the matching algorithm until she was like, no, these are actually results that are way better than I could find elsewhere. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so you can, you get these results, you have almost like an inbox where you can triage your research. Because one thing that we find is that in the research process, there's actually a lot of tracking that needs to happen that right now just happens in spreadsheets, which makes it possible so that oftentimes people are like re-researching things or just kind of losing the work that they've done before or not being able to hand off that work if they like leave the organization in terms of just like institutional knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we help you like actually manage that research. Um, so you're being more efficient overall and we're giving you a workflow. And then you can take that research and, and put it into what we call a tracker, which is almost like a magical dynamic version of the spreadsheet that you're probably building your grant calendar in, except on instrumental, we're making sure your deadlines are always up to date, we're monitoring the funder's website in case anything changes on there and so that, that we need to alert you for, and you're actually able to kind of store that information in your work so that you can collaborate with your team and build reports and things like that. Um, so that's that's instrumental. We don't do anything with the funders directly. We okay. build all of that data ourselves um, through a combination of like human and machine. And we did once upon a time explore uh, bringing on funders and it's still something that's on our radar. But um, one thing that we found, unfortunately on the funder side is that there's not a ton of incentive for them to change their behavior because they're giving out money, right? It's like a, not like making money. Uh, right. So the things, what they care about is just from an incentive standpoint is a bit different. Do you find too with funders, are they mostly saying that they are receiving like abundant amount of applications when you speak to them? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. When they think about like, I thought that I could go to a funder and say, don't you have a problem around giving your money away like efficiently and effectively to the right organizations? Right. They would not really resonate with that. They'd say, oh no, we have so many great organizations that you know, that we could give to you and, and we just have to keep saying no. And mm. I don't need a tool to like give away my money more effectively or efficiently. It's just that like, but there's too many great organizations that need to be funded. Right, yeah, that makes sense. And so as far as what you're saying with like spreadsheets and stuff, um, for those who aren't that familiar with grant process, a lot of these funders have um, strict uh, deadlines, right? Or like open windows where you can apply for your grant. Um, so that's what you're talking about of how you, of what you help the organization track. Is that correct? Yeah. The deadlines, as well as just like the overall requirements of like who can apply to this, mm. um, who's eligible, who's ineligible. So you can have that all in one place. Nice. Yeah. That's very helpful. And then as far as like the grant, process of applying for the grant they would like go on to the funders website then and do everything with the funder yeah. or is that done on instrumental or no what an, what an organization can do is they can keep track of all their documents on instrumental so that next year when they go to reapply for 2023 they know exactly where 2022's application is that's the awesome application process will happen directly on the funders website and then we'll have, we'll have a link to that right on instrumental though so you don't have to hunt for it that is super awesome because I've been at a lot of nonprofits where like the person who applied for the last year's grant is like no longer at the organization right. and you're like recreating the wheel or like searching through various 
documents to try to find the right one. So that is really helpful. So kind of like stepping out of like what instrumental is, I would love just to hear about the findings that you've discovered since um, starting instrumental, starting with um, any insights that you have for nonprofits that are seeking a grant. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of things uh, to say there. <laughs> I would say the the first thing that I like to focus on is really making sure that you're in a position to be to like actually be like a, a like ready to to apply and win grants. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like some upfront work that needs to be done uh, to make sure that it's like a worthwhile investment for you to be taking on right now versus other types of fundraising channels that you could uh, be working on. I like to say that grants are somewhat of a more advanced fundraising strategy. And the reason for that is because if you think about it, grants are often from institutional funders who are, they tend to be giving out larger sums of money Mm -hmm. and they tend to be a bit more risk averse uh, versus like an individual like me or you who might, you know, be giving 10 or a hundred, you know, dollars. We don't, you know, we can be compelled with like a story or like a personal connection or just a um, kind of less um, outcome or impact information. Obviously that's important, um, but we're just going to be a little bit less risk averse because we're giving away the smaller sums of money. Um, So for that reason, you have to be at a certain place organizationally to really demonstrate that you're a good recipient of grants, um, which means I would say at a high level just means that you have some sort of track record to show uh, that a funder can feel confident that if they give you, you know, $100,000 or $50,000, that they feel confident that you're going to be able to take that and and have some sort of outcome or impact. Um, And then the other piece is uh, making sure that you have the organizational capacity to really do a good job with the, with what you're requesting the grant for, because hopefully this grant is really like the first step of a long-term relationship with that funder and you and and you want to be able to demonstrate success with that first grant that you win so that you can be a like repeat recipient from that funder yeah that's good advice and kind of leading into that have you seen something um have you learned about what grant funders are looking for like are there any good specifics of what um you've learned kind of separates the people who get funded as opposed to those who don't yeah i think that the like probably the biggest thing is is really making sure there's like true mission alignment uh, with what the funder is trying to fund and what your organization and your program actually does and you know if the one thing that i like to say is that like a funder or a donor like there's a there's an actual problem that they're trying to solve. Like that's why they exist. Like they're trying to give away their money to create right. some sort of impact. And it's it's your job to like really think from their perspective and like try to read between the lines based on like what they see on the website or what they've done historically in terms of grants to see if you're truly what they'd like to be funding. And I like to say, you know, you don't, you want to be in a place where you feel like you're needing to stretch uh, your mission to kind of meet what the funder does. And the other thing I like to say is that if you're if you are not sure about that alignment, and even if you are sure, it's always a good practice to make contact with the funder or try to build a relationship with that funder through an introduction. Um, you know, if you if you have an introduction, that's best case scenario. If you don't, then at the very least, like just sending an email or a quick call that can really just be framed around making sure it's a good time investment for you. So like this is what we do. Um, do you think it makes sense for us to move forward based on like what your current priorities are. And then if you get that kind of validation of like, yeah, this is definitely in line with what we're trying to fund this year, that's great. Then you're like, okay, yeah, it makes sense to kind of 
really do a great job with this application and, and this relationship because you got that little bit of validation that you're on the right track versus not having that and and again feeling like you might be stretching is you're kind of then in a place where it's just a bit risky on if that's the best time investment for you yeah and I think you make a good point too like have you found through your work that foundations or whoever's doing the funding are open to receiving those calls from nonprofits it really depends on the funder and sometimes (laughs) funders are explicitly you know they're they're like very much like do do not get in touch right um you know if, if i were a nonprofit and that's what i saw then i would try to go more in the direction of building a connection or an introduction and mm-hmm. as opposed to reaching out cold um and yeah i think it has to be done on a case-by-case basis and obviously there's a bad way to do it right like i wouldn't show up at their house i wouldn't <laughs> send them like a really long email that like that where the where you're kind of making the funder do a lot of work that they didn't ask for i would try to make it really easy for them to just give you like a yes or no on if it makes sense for you to um move forward yeah i think that's hard i mean i've I haven't been on the funding side as much as the nonprofit side but um you know, grant applications are so black and white that sometimes even if you get the like green light from someone in the organization about filling out the application, sometimes the questions don't make sense or you don't know how to quite answer it as the nonprofit. So it is helpful for when those funders are willing to take calls and answer those questions for sure. Yeah. One other tip that I will give folks, which I think is less commonly done and also definitely has to be done very sensitively is to actually reach out to past recipients of that funder, especially mm. ones where you think, obviously, if you have a connection or a relationship there, that's easy. You can just reach out to them and say, how was it? Like, what was your what was your process like? Any tips on standing out or building a successful application for this funder? Also, what has it been like working with this funder? Like, do you generally recommend it? Um, and then and then if you even if you don't know somebody just, you know, seeing that might be a, a better an easier place for you to potentially reach out cold um, and just say, ask if they're open to giving you some advice or some tips, especially if you might work in a similar area or have some sort of other kind of commonality. But again, would be very sensitive. So because you are requesting, you know, somebody else's time would would try to make it easy on them um, and, you know, not bombard them, but just see if they're open to it. And then on the flip side, asking if there's anything, if you do make contact with with somebody at that um, recipient to also see if there's anything you can do to help, any doors you can open up for them. Um, Because I find that in general, you know, it's a business of relationship building and reciprocity. So making sure that you're also being one to open doors for others is important. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love that. Um, And then I wonder too, like about nonprofits that you see succeeding in fundraising, um, have you observed anything that they do particularly different? I think that, um, yeah, there's a couple. so So definitely like being, making sure you're grant ready. Um, that's a big thing. I think the other thing is um, making sure you're understanding the full landscape of opportunities that are out there so that you're actually prioritizing your time effectively. And specifically, I mean, like concentrating your efforts on the opportunities that you're most likely to win as opposed to spreading yourself too thin. Um, but you can only really prioritize effectively if you really have an, a full understanding of the landscape. So that's where tools like Instrumental can come in where as opposed to kind of going after the things that might come across your desk, you're actually feeling more confident that you're making the correct trade-offs and prioritization calls. Um, The other thing that I'd say that folks that 
are successful with grants too is that they have a good especially if they're getting started with grants is that they have the right mindset that grants can be like i said a more advanced fundraising strategy or a a strategy where it takes a bit more time and feedback cycles to actually see that positive roi and that's and it's for that reason that it may not be the strategy to start with like when you're just getting started off because you actually need the capacity to be able to invest some more time and actually um, take the feedback that you receive, both positive and negative, from funders, which is a whole other thing. Actually, making sure you get that feedback—I know that's a that's a whole challenge—but but ideally, getting that feedback and then using that to inform your grant strategy as a whole and and moving forward. So, for example, like you know, you apply to something and you don't get a fit. So, really going back and saying like, why is it that we thought this funder would be aligned, you know, based on all of our research, and why did they decide not to fund us? Ideally, you have some input from the funder on that too, but really thinking about what would have made your application stronger, and not getting, ideally not getting disheartened, but really coming at it from a place of learning so that you can decide what to do next year for this particular funder. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And something you keep touching on is, um, you know, applying for grants versus like, you know, your typical fundraising. And I know a big difference is that applying for grants, there is that ROI requested at the end, right? And how you are scaling your impact if you're ready to do that. Um, is that something that instrumental helps with? Is that like post-funding reporting at all? You mean in terms of like tracking the outcomes of that particular grant? Right. Yeah. Like if you do win a grant and you are funded and then you have to go back to the funder to, you know, show what impact you had with the funding. Yeah. I know that's like a hard part of, of grants. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it's a, it's something that's on our radar and we are exploring it uh, on the like post award side. We d- we definitely have a place where you can like track those reporting requirements and, and like keep those reports, kind of those documents uploaded so that you can kind of go year over year and like see what your past, uh, see where your past reports are easily. Um, but in terms of, there, I think there's a lot more that could be done from our end to like actually be a place where you might be um, kind of tracking that, that that outcome data and being able to report on it directly from Instrumental. Yeah. And I, and yeah, just touching on the point, like if, you're, if your organization is ready to apply for grants, I think that is one thing to consider. Like, do you have a um, specific way to scale impact and track the work that you're doing? Um, Because that's certainly something that funders will want. Um, When it comes to staffing, what is your advice or what do you see as far as staffing for nonprofits? Um, You know, I I know a lot of organizations have specific grant writers. Others just have, you know, general development um, individuals. Um, I'd love to see just kind of like what you're seeing as far as organizations that are doing um, fundraising successfully and what advice you have. Yeah, on the smaller end, we have executive directors who are allocating some portion of their time uh, to grants. And then on the bigger end, we have like dedicated grant writers and sometimes like multiple dedicated grant writers. And then um, in between, you'll have maybe a development director or somebody that does other fundraising things, but also spends like a portion of their time on grants. And my general recommendation is that uh, like, is you is to actually be successful at the grants and to kind of have this longer term kind of outlook and to be able to create that feedback loop. I would say at the very minimum, you'd want to have somebody spending like at least 20% of their time on grants. Like one, So it doesn't have to be a full-time person. I think you can definitely get started um, 
in some limited capacity, or you could also work with like a part-time grant writer to get started. Mm -hmm. Um, But you definitely want to have it not be somebody's kind of like last priority and something that they kind of do one grant every once in a while. You want it to be something that you've decided is enough of a priority overall as an organization where you can say, yeah, like 20% of your week is going to go into grants like every single week. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, just want to circle back if you can think of any, um, success stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we worked with an organization, um, called friends of the urban forest in San Francisco. We actually went to visit them in person way back when. Um, and I don't know if, you know, you've seen their, like, if you go through the streets of San Francisco, you actually will see like on the trees that they plant and things like that, they're like their logo. So they're, oh, cool. they're customers of ours and they, um, use instrumental, and one of their success stories is just they connected with um, the Joseph and Vera Long Foundation, which is actually a funder that's local that they had just never really realized was an opportunity for them until they used Instrumental. And they were able to get an award from them. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, we certainly help folks that are trying to look beyond their local funders and kind of look to more national funders and just fo- funders outside of their kind of local geography. But sometimes you'd be surprised uh, at how many other opportunities there there are in your geography locally to you uh, when you look at a more comprehensive set of data. Yeah. And I, I, there's so many small family foundations that people don't hear of normally. So it's nice that um, you guys have that all in one place. And is that data that you, the algorithm pulls from the internet or, or do you, does interest, instrumental have relationships with each of the funders or how does that work? Yeah, we don't have relationships with the funders. What we do is we bring in the data ourselves through a combination of human and machine. So we do have a team of people who we, you know, our content operations team that will like be essentially building new pages on instrumental of opportunities and categorizing those opportunities in a particular way so that our matching algorithm can surface those. And we build tools to help that team be more efficient with their time. So that's on the opportunity side where we're matching you to like live active opportunities that you could go to a funder's website and and read about. We also match you to funders that may not have an open opportunity right now or, or just in general, maybe invite only. And we get that data from 990 tax filing. So this would be on the private Mm. foundation side. And that happens mostly automatically where we look at who this funder has funded in the past, what kinds of organizations, uh, where those organizations are located. And then based on, again, that information that you put in when you set up your project, we match you to, you know, if you're generally in line with who that funders tends to give to, then that funder will be a match. So we actually match you to not only active opportunities across all types of funding sources, government, corporate, fund uh, private funder private foundation as well as um invite only private foundations that may not have active opportunities that's so interesting i'm so not the tech savvy person so i find all of that um so cool that you're able to do that um and then something i wanted to ask you about too i know like a pain point for a lot of nonprofits is funding overhead so not necessarily like a specific project but um you know paying for staff or office space, all of that to keep the nonprofit running. Do you find that there are grants that fund that or um, do the majority that you see on Instrumental don't? I would say there certainly are grants that will be specifically for general operating expenses and you can filter by that and, and you can certainly prioritize those. Our general advice is to 
to think about the relationship with a funder as as a relationship and it tends to be easier to get your foot in the door with a program uh request mm-hmm. and and then work your way to a general operating request um so even if a funder maybe doesn't do gen- you know maybe they don't have an rfp or an application out for general operating funds i would not think that it's never possible to get that from that funder you just might need to um, build up that relationship with them yeah that's really good advice um and what advice do you have for someone that's looking to start a nonprofit? It's a big focus of ours on the podcast is um, nonprofit founders. Do you have any advice for someone who um, might be starting a nonprofit as far as funding and grants? Yeah, I would say that at a high level, um, the thing that I would try to think about if, if, if you're starting a nonprofit is really from the beginning, you have a real opportunity to really make sure that everything from like the, the people that you hire, the fundraising strategy that you take, your programs, your outcomes, that you that you have more of an abundance mindset um, as opposed to a scarcity mindset. And I will say that it's not all on the nonprofit, that there is like a scarcity mindset that happens. Like, you know, it's, it's a systemic issue and, and certainly funders have a really big role to play. But if you're just getting started, um, I would think about what you can do to make sure that from the very beginning, you're kind of trying to reposition that in your mind. Um, And then one specific thing that I would say is that I I kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but um, is worth highlighting a bit more is to kind of reposition their dynamic between like them and the, and the funders, especially. So, Mm -hmm. um, so like, like I said before, like funders and donors, they have a problem that they want to be solved, but they're not the ones that are actually going to be solving that problem. So instead of, feeling like you might need to be like making requests or needs or begging from from like funders or donors to actually realize that you're solving a problem for them and like they there's a hundred billion dollars hundreds of billions of dollars that are getting you know getting donated from from philanthropic um motives like that's not just altruism right like it's it's also that there's like a particular problem that i might be feeling a particular change that i might want to see in the world and like this is the way that i'm actually kind of making that change happen from like a, almost like a selfish motivation standpoint. So it, like, how can you think about repositioning that uh, power dynamic uh, in, in a way that might support how you kind of like focus on your strengths, concentrate your efforts on the things that you do really well, make sure that you are solving like a true pain point for, for society and, and for your community. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, I like that. The nonprofits need to be the boots on the ground and the the experts in the problem for these funders who want to solve it. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Um, well, definitely want to give you a ch- chance to let listeners know where they they can find you and in Instrumental. Sure. Yeah, it's it's www.instrument and then the letter l.com. So it's instrumental.com. It's just missing that last a. And if you go to the website and you you'll see a button to sign up for a fourteen day trial. That trial is totally free. You don't even have to put your credit card in and you'll be able to explore everything that Instrumental has to offer. Even if you don't end up subscribing, you'll, you should come away with at least, you know, plenty of new opportunities to pursue. And if you do find it uh, helpful f- for you, which I believe you will, uh, we have a coupon code for you that you can use uh, to get a, for, for listeners to get a, a bit of a discount. It's WAVES50. And I'll send that to you as well. Um, so you can add it to the show notes. But yeah, we're, we're very excited to, you know, have you check instrumental out if you ever have any like questions or or feedback as you use the platform please let me know 
Awesome. Thank you. Well, we always um, end the podcast with some fun rapid fire questions, if that's okay. Sure. And these are just um, to get to know you better. Um, your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible. Um, probably on the beach in Hawaii after a Lomi Lomi massage. Love it. That sounds awesome. I could use a massage right now. Um, the show you're currently binge watching. Oh, I've been watching not, it's kind of relevant to this, this show called Loot on Apple TV, um, with Maya Rudolph about how she, uh, after she gets divorced from like a nonprofit or from a tech executive has like billions of dollars and is give, working at her, at her own foundation to figure out how to give away her money. I love it. I saw that and I wanted to start it. I'll have to start that. Um, the last book that you read. The last book that I read is it's called Clara and the Sun and it's by Kazuo Ishiguro and it's about a in the future where we have uh, essentially like AI robots that are your friend but it's from the perspective of that AI robot and her experience. Oh interesting that sounds cool. Um, one fun fact about you. Let's see. Until I went to college, I wanted to be a basketball player. And oh, that's awesome. On, and then on a whim, I took a computer science class. And I wasn't going to be a basketball player, but because I didn't have any idea what to do, I was totally open. <laughs> my dad was like, you should try computer science. And I tried it out and it ended up working out. But um, it stuck. literally until college, I had no idea what else I would do besides play basketball. Did you play in high school? I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, fun. I love that. Um, well, it just goes to show that you don't have to have your life figured out, you know, it just, I feel like, um, people's destinies just come to them. So I like that. Um, and then last one is what gives you hope? Hmm. I think I'm naturally a, an optimist. Um, what gives me hope? I don't know. There's a lot of things out there in the world right now that I think we need a lot of hope for. Um, Hence this I, question. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I guess I, I just inherently believe in, in people's desire and a, ability to solve problems, uh, especially problems that impact others that, and that come from a place of genuine care. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kari. This was wonderful. It was great to learn more about you and instrumental and um, I enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Lizzie. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. I would love if you would follow or subscribe our podcast, or would you leave a rating or review? Five stars is our favorite. That would help others find us, and we'd really appreciate it. If you are active on social media, please follow us at Waves of Change Podcast on Instagram. Even more, if you would share this episode on your stories, that would be wonderful. If you have suggestions or want to recommend an organization I should interview, Email us at wavesofchangepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Thank you. I'll see you next time.